Gig Gab episode 22 for Tuesday, July 7th, 2015. folks and welcome to gig gab the working musicians podcast here in durham new hampshire i'm dave hamilton out in las Gatos, california paul kent how you doing paul kent i'm good i had a nice fourth of july i did not play a gig this year did you i played no gigs this weekend yeah which is um well it's rare that we have a weekend that neither one of us plays gigs but it's fourth of july so you know we we're probably spending time with our families that's at least what i, I was doing yeah, so I've I've had Fourth of July gigs, you know, opening for the fireworks show the last four or five years. Yeah, and this one I was I was interrupted by Fare Thee Well, the Grateful Dead closing shows. I had some guys who who uh, had to be in Chicago to wish their favorite band off. Ah, so a couple of, a couple of your guys went. Ah. Yeah, so cool. Uh, and I heard the shows were amazing. I mean. You think you take the core of the dead and you add Trey and, and Hornsby, it's going to be pretty freaking great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of followed along with, with friends who are big deadheads uh, and watched the set lists and just, you know, kind of followed along with all the social streams and everything. And, uh, and yeah, it seemed like the, especially the first show in Chicago was, was much tighter and, and more of a band than, than kind of the run up that they did out in out your way, I guess, in Santa Clara. Exactly. That's what I heard. Yep. And I heard the last show. I mean, actually, you know, Nick from my band was the was there, and you know, he's a lifelong devotee, and and he said it was a very special thing. So I'm sure it was. Yeah. yeah. He asked me. You know, originally I gave him I gave him some some like, dude, that's a pretty good paying weekend for us. He was like, dude, yep, it's like my family. He goes, you would go to Springsteen's farewell thing. I had to actually think about it for a while because. I have prioritized gigs so high in my life. Like my wife thinks I'm crazy and you know, for the amount we play, but you know, I kind of have gotten into this manic. You have to play, you have to, you know, a band plays. That's what it does. Yeah. And he, he, you know, he said, you'd go see Springsteen's last show. And I said, I don't know if I would, uh, but, um, you might, he went and he, I, I, well, now I'm thinking about it. I might, <laughs> now I probably would actually now, now the conversation is probably over. Well, but see, but the thing is, you know, if it, you would go, but you would just know about it. You're the guy that books in your band, right? So you don't have to really negotiate with anybody, except that if you don't book any gigs, people are going to start asking you questions, right? Yeah, but, yeah, absolutely. You know, but but you would you would find about find out about this. Let's say in January, you'd say, okay, I'm going to you know carve out this weekend. But you'd have a gig on Wednesday and a gig on Tuesday that you know bookended it and and made up for it. Because that's just, you know, because you're in control of the whole schedule. So you probably, I mean, you probably have stuff that you schedule on, on nights when things are going to happen and you just naturally don't schedule a gig on that, on that. Well, night, right. Let me, let me give you the, the conundrum. So, okay. Yeah. Maybe it's couple, not that simple. <laughs> a couple times the gig has been in a football stadium for about 20,000 people. Mm. And that's a pretty thrilling thing to do. Sure. Yeah. And then last year was at a, a, a park by a lake for probably about 5,000 people, maybe yeah. a little less than that. And so, the, you know, these have been big gigs. They've been pretty good paying gigs, not the best paying gigs, but pretty good paying gigs. So all, you know, my first gut is these are great gigs. You know, you, you know, the gigs come first, but like I said, now, I guess, now I guess, you know, a precedent has been set and, uh, 
God forbid Bruce stops touring, but uh, he will at some point. Some point. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's sort of how life works, but yeah. uh, I wonder, I wonder whether I'll stop touring before he stops touring. That's right. Yeah. 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 I won't ask about the, any, any relative difference in, in your ages. We'll just leave that alone. So just leave that alone. That's for the best. That's for the best. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I guess I prioritize gigs are pretty high on my list. Um, but But when it comes to like this weekend away with family, 4th of July has become a thing that my family goes off to Maine and, and really it's almost like a family reunion. It's, it's, it's not quite that, but, but that tends to happen. There's a lot of my relatives that, that all sort of descend on this one area of Maine uh, a couple of times a year. And 4th of July just happens to become one of them or happen to have become one of them. And so that's pretty important. Family's a, you know, pretty high on the list. So it, um, well, I just, see, I just wouldn't even thing. think about booking a gig this weekend. You know, it's like, yeah. oh, well, I'll be away. Yeah. Well, you know, you have family thing and, and family trumps everything. Right. But, um, you know, this is the sickness. I mean, in, in a way, that's the leader you want, the guy who's prioritizing gigs over everything. And, and yeah. uh, but uh, in another way, that's the guy you don't want because you're going to get some grief if uh, if you're not available for one of these gigs. If you got a punt one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. So. And I am that guy. I'm the guy that you, we talk about how great it would be to play in a band together. Uh, You would, you would probably hate me if only (laughs) for that reason, because I do, I'll say, well, no, I got a family thing, you know, sorry. And I'm okay. And I'm okay with it, but to a, to a degree, right. I mean, I, you know, I've, I've bookended it and I've got a gig on Thursday and you know, I knew I, we talked about kind of spending the whole week there and then it turned out that we had other things come up. And so we're home today. But, well, but remember, that's that thing we were talking about, that you, you need band members that are on the same page in terms of yeah. what they expect. Now, I'm an empty nester. You are definitely not an empty nester. That's correct. And so my time is a little bit more available. Although, like I said, my wife, who yeah. was patient, she's patient like a saint, every once in a while, we, we were playing so much this summer, she has definitely called me to the mat and she's be like, you know, you got to get a little balance in your life here. And uh, that's a real thing, you know, the temptation to lose balance and and lose sight of uh, of keeping everybody happy because certainly it would be no fun to play if I didn't have the support of my family of my wife you know and, and you know if I was out and you know she was like bitter about it that would that would be no fun at all so no. and I and I've been yeah we talked about this right yeah. you know we had talked about babies and stages of life and that type of thing yeah no it, you definitely you want it you you want it all I mean that that's how it goes but you also don't want to say no to a gig that's how it works. Yeah. Hey, we got a couple of questions um, in the uh, in the old mailbag here. So I wanted to cool. go through two of them. And then depending on how long this takes, you said you had an article that we might uh, come to. In fact, my guess is we will, because I don't think I don't think these questions will take a long time. Eileen asks on Facebook and you can visit us at Facebook.com slash Gig podcast. If you want to ask a question when hired for a gig, if you need to buy a special instrument, should the band pay for at least part of it? Example, you're a guitarist, but the gig requires that you have to play bass or something else on a couple of songs. Should the band help buy that instrument? Interesting. You know, my first gut reaction was absolutely not. Same. Right. But <laughs> right. then, you know, a little bit of thinking is that why is the band hiring a guy who doesn't have a piece of equipment? Right. Why not go find somebody who has the equipment? But uh, so I thought about it a little bit and I was like, well, you know, if it's really specialized and it's going to ha- and it's, you know, especially if it's only a one time use. But I, I can't imagine most bands are in a position for you can just go find a guy who has the gear that you have. Uh, you know, I, I don't understand. How do you know this guy can play the piece of equipment 
if he doesn't own the piece of equipment. Right. Well, you know, and I, I would think it, it's I, I think that this question was was sort of cleansed. Right. When it and generalized when it was asked. But my my guess is that this would be a lot more uh, tailored towards a woodwind player. Right. Uh, right. You know, you play the sax. OK. And, and I'm, I might get this wrong because I'm not a woodwind player, but I know that that many, but not all variations of the sax have have uh, similar fingerings. Right. So it's like, OK, well, we're doing this gig. We need you to play a soprano sax on this one tune because, you know, the the bride requested it or what, you know, whatever it is. Right. You know, and we really want to have that tone. Uh, do you have one? No. OK, we'll go out and get one. And maybe in, it's not buying it. Maybe it's renting it for the gig. Right. Or, you know, and, and that I can see as you, you know, okay, well, the guy's capable of playing all these other instruments. We have a reasonable expectation that he's going to be able to deliver this particular line on that instrument. And, uh, well, actually, you know, I was in this situation, uh, when I did that theater gig that I think I was doing when we, when we started doing the show, I was hired to play. I was hired because I was a drummer. Uh, they needed a drummer that could read, which is typical in theater. And I wasn't playing drum set. I was playing a couple of toms and cymbals and some other, you know, various percussion like vibra slap and other things like that. And I also had to play keyboards. The percussion part was percussion and synthesizer. And they, I think I, I ranted a little bit about this because it was, uh, they said it was all, you know, a very simple synthesizer part. And it's like, yeah, well, simple if you've been playing in theater pits for 25 years. I'm sure, right. I'm sure what I had to play was. But I, I didn't. The keyboard that I owned that I own was would not even come close to covering what what this gig required. And so they actually provided me with a keyboard. It wasn't even discussed. I mean, they asked. They said, do you have a keyboard that you want to use or, or should we get what you, you know, do you want to use? Uh, do, do you need one? And I said, no, I, yeah, I don't have one. And and they they provided me one, and it turns out they actually went out and bought it. Uh, the music director went out and bought it and just added it to his arsenal after the gig. But I was, you know, the first it was brand new, and the first gig that was played on it was was played by me. Which is yeah, so you and I both have that same like your first reaction is no, right? You no, know, and but renting for a specialized purpose, I think I think now it starts to you know the the question starts to take on a little bit of a different meaning, like. If the band wants something for a specialized purpose, yeah, and especially if it's a one-time use or like a recording session or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah. But uh, I guess at the end of the day, that you know, the musician says, "Nope, I don't got one of those," and and the the band says, "Well, you need one," and the guy says, "Well, I'm not going to go out of pocket for it." Yep. And the band says, "Well, they'll they'll either say, well, we really want you, so we'll cover it,' or they'll be like, well, go find the guy who has this piece of equipment.' That's it." Yeah, right. It, if we can't, we, if we can't find it all, we we piecemeal it. That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, it's that it's that universal concept of leverage. How bad does the does the band want you? Right. How bad do you want the gig? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, it's actually um, not an easy answer. So yeah. yeah, that's actually a really good question. <laughs> it is a good question. Yeah. Uh, and then we got a question from Chris. And he asks, hey, guys, thanks so much for the show. I'm loving it. That's good. We're loving it, too. I'm in a band with another guitar player. Sometimes we wind up playing the same thing, and I have to work with him to change that. What's your advice for approaching songs with two guitar players to avoid that up front, especially when the song doesn't necessarily have two guitars to begin with? That's actually a very, very interesting question. And the answer uh, somewhat depends on the level of of uh, proficiency that the guitar players have. So you know, we'll start with like the most obvious example of the best two guitar player band in the world, which is the Rolling Stones, right? 
it is an amazing thing to me. You cannot do what the Rolling Stones do. We've heard millions of cover bands play millions of, of Rolling Stones covers and what the role and, and uh, Keith Richards talks about this in his, in his autobiography, which is a great book, by the way. And he talks about this concept of weaving and the reason why, why, um, why Rod is such a great compliment is because they have this natural thing. And this is a function of people being able to listen, people knowing their instrument, like knowing how to create complementary parts. Two guitars strumming the exact same things is just pretty freaking boring, and it doesn't really add a whole lot. It doesn't. In fact, really it usually muddies it up. Absolutely, but, because they're not here's, exactly on. Here's the thing about the Stones, though. They and maybe maybe these days they they have defined parts, uh, but it 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 certainly in years past I've heard them tell the story where it's like, oh yeah, one night you know Ron will play the 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 lead signature riff and and another night Keith will play it and really it was well Ron would play it if Keith couldn't and and vice versa right you know there was there was a lot of that in the in the early days uh, had you heard that too or am i making I, that up i haven't heard it but it makes sense like i said okay. what they do and the art that they've they've elevated it to you will rarely ever 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 hear a cover band perfect cuz there's so much feel and so much soul in what they do. So yeah. the whole thing about, you know, when you say, you know, Keith couldn't play a part, well, why couldn't he play it? Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, it was but, too high. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But you know, this is where Ron Wood is, is just amazing. I mean, I, I would tend to guess Ron plays around Keith more than Keith plays around Ron. I think that's a safe. Uh, yeah. I, I would guess that too, but it is a guess. That's right. But if you listen to that stuff, I mean, listen to anything, listen to their live albums, listen Listen to how there's two guitars. There's still all the space in the world. It, it never sounds jumbled. No. You know, one guy is holding one note while one guy is hitting, you know, a, 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 one of those interesting Keith, Keith Richards chords. <laughs> chord. I mean, th- <laughs> chord. So, you know, this would be one end of the, the beautiful example of how two guitar players should play together. They, you got to listen. You got to understand your instrument that if some guy is in one phrasing or in, in one part of the neck, it probably makes more sense for you to be in another part of the neck in my band, mm. which again has a lot of sound. Um, I play a very arpeggiated, um, you know, almost it's not just strummed like strumming a cowboy guitar, but it's, you know, very much kind of a picking with a pick type of thing where there's just this constant bedrock of sound that the band lays on top of. And Simon's job in my band is color. You know, he's the one who really amazing with his effects, very tasty with his leads, you know, very thoughtful about how he plays around me. Uh, and that's the, you know, kind of, we have our own little vibe that, that I think we get to pretty well. Uh, he just, again, he knows his instrument really well. If I'm playing low on the neck, he's usually playing high on the neck. You know, we have times when we'll do these, you know, very guitar God, uh, double lead type things, which are kind of fun. The harmonics, um, the harmonized lead kind of thing. Yeah. yeah you know, that's fun. A couple of times in the show, we'll do that. Um, you know, one guy will power chord while one guy will pick, you know, that type of stuff. And we just try and create something that's complimentary. So but that is go ahead. No, well, go ahead and finish. And then I have a question for you. Sorry. The, the goal is complimentary. So the, the, the question is, what do two guitarists do? And the the simple question answer is that you need two guys who know how to listen, who look at what the other guy does and sounds good at doing and works his own part. You know, each guy wants to work around the other guy. Um and I'll again use the Rolling Stones as like the the best example of that type of stuff. But even if you go with hard rock bands, like oh, now now I have a question for you. 
before we, right. before we get on to that, you, you, you're, I, I would agree with you as a, a fly on the wall, but but a very, you know, self-interested fly on this wall because it, you know, it affects the sound of the band. I play in a two guitar band, right? Uh, two of them. In fact, Chafed and Fling are both two guitar bands. Um, how much of that work where you play around each other is done in the practice room versus how much happens sort of organically on stage? Well, you know, guitar players who are great, it happens organically. Yeah. Guitar players who are, you know, amateur, you know, more, or, I don't, I don't mean amateur in, in an insulting way. I just mean, you know, Not inexperienced, inexperienced. It ha- it takes a commitment and to working things out. So think about the bands who are great to guitar. But here's a good one. Thin Lizzy. Yeah. Right. So this is a heavy, you know, a harder sound you have in that band. Sometimes they're playing the exact same thing, but then they peer off into different things and then they come back for those harmonized leads and, and that's pretty orchestral at the end of the day. So that, that's a really interesting way that a two guitar band plays. Think about a band like um, counting crows. One guy's on acoustic, one guy's on electric, you know, when they're both on electric, they're definitely playing different vibes, different feels of their, of their instrument. So some of it has, a lot of it has to do with understanding that two guys strumming the exact same thing is rarely an effective approach to things. Yeah. And, and the desire to improve upon that. So you gotta, you gotta study if it's not, if it doesn't come natural, you gotta go out and see. So, you know, even if it's, if you're, what did, what does the band that you're trying to copy, what do they do? What do right. their guys do? Right. So in, in your band, most of it is, is a, at this point, an organic thing. You don't have to spend a whole lot of time in the woodshed together sort of saying, oh, wait, wait, no, you play this part. I'll play this part. That, th- that work is now done for you guys. It, it comes more and more natural. Simon and I can have a conversation about things and divide up the, the general idea. So yep. a good example is we play um, a lot of tower of power in our band, which for most of their career was, was a one guitar band. Mm. And, um, and again, this is funk, you know, just the ninth chords largely. And, and so, uh, and it's not a guitar band, right? You know, the guitar is a very percussive accent to the music that's going on. And so, uh, you know, we take turns, you know, we play down to the nightclub, right? So, you know, I'll play a very simple, um, like a, a guitar hit on one and three or two and four, or whatever the song calls for, while Simon's doing the heavy lifting of, of the, the kind of funky rhythmic stuff. Uh, and sometimes, you know, I'll take on a heavier chore is something like what is hip, you know, just to have fun. I'll take the first lead. He'll take the second lead. Sure. One guy plays a lot more percussive. One guy plays a lot more full. And so you just find your way and you just yeah. see what sounds good. Be very realistic about it. But um, you know, whether it's, whether it's two tonal things and, and interestingly, Simon and I both play Telecasters, but he plays these heavily modded tele- Telecasters that really sound like a bunch of different guitars. So, and that's the other thing. Two guys that, playing the exact same guitar is, is a, is a, that's going to make it more difficult to find that sonic carving out your sonic space than, than something else would. That, yeah, that was, that was, I, I wrote a couple of notes here and tone was the, the first one is, you know, it, and that certainly can start in the rehearsal room is make sure you don't sound the same because if you do, what's the point, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, even in the Macworld All-Star band, you know, I, I played a telly most of the time, although I played a Les Paul a couple times. Yep. Brian, you know, f- got hooked on his, on his, um, on his Rick. Yep. And, and then, uh, Bob was bringing that, you know, mostly that, that Les Paul knockoff. He, he brought a couple other guitars. Yeah. But it was, we had three guitars and we certainly weren't Leonard Skinner. We were dividing up the, the space that way. 
but at least the tones were a little bit different. And I would know enough, you know, sometimes just back off and let the other guys play. It's okay not to play. Well, that's, Maybe that's the-, the best thing I could, I could ever say. It's okay not to play, especially if you play in a band where lots of other guys are carrying the weight. Yeah. Well, that's it. Right. It, it, you know, I, I, and that's something I, I mentioned actually in fling a lot and chafe. I would probably mention it, but we don't rehearse. So it, there's never a, a moment to do so, but you know, it's like, okay, well, you know what? You drop out during the verse. We don't need you during the verse. In fact, you, you know, there's, it should be sparse. So just lay back and it's cool, you know, or maybe find like, you know, one note you play at, at the end of every, you know, eight bar phrase that, that yeah. ties it together and brings us back around that kind of thing. Sure. It can be really, really effective. Uh, the lack of sound, especially, you know, like in a big band, you have no problem making sound. It's the lack of sound that makes the sound a lot more effective. Play the spaces, man. Yep. Yeah. But even three or four pieces, I mean, yeah. Dynamics are, are certainly one of the things we talked about. What's the difference between a polished semi-professional and a professional? You know, we talked a little about how hard you hit it, but the lack of sound often and letting other people have their space to you know, go at some things. Even if you're in a three piece band, you're really not going to, you know, a three piece band with, with a, an overly simple bass player is a challenge to pull off. I mean, you know, you know, totally. If you're going to, if you're going to play in a three piece band, your bass player is going to carry, he's going to cover some ground, let him get out of his way, yeah. you know, hit a chord on the one and let him, let him know, drive. Yeah, well, yeah, that's what he's there for. That's so. what he's there for. Yeah, I, there are. I, I have played with a lot of bass players, and I've always said, and this is still largely true, that my favorite uh, lineup is a, a a trio, a rock trio, because you just have. There's so many good things about it. There's never any clicks, right? Everybody either gets <laughs> along or you don't. Uh, but but you don't really have factions, you know, developing. Uh, but y- you get to play. And everybody gets to play and you really it's easy to listen to each other and all of that. Of course, this now is off the beaten path of our two guitar question, because typically you don't have two two guitars in a three piece unless you're the presidency of the United States. Right. Those guys, (laughs) those weird things. But anyway. All right. Right. Oh, yeah. They But they had they didn't play guitars. They didn't play basses. They both played the git bass. And it was this this creation of their own. But anyway, um, yet yet another tangent. Uh, But I, I really like that. But. It has to be, like you said, with the right bass player. Pretty much any guitar player can exist in a three-piece rock trio. There are some that are much more suited to it than others. But, but you know, you can take any guitar player and drop them in, and it's like, okay, yeah, fine. But, uh, but you absolutely need a bass player that knows how to drive. If you've got a bass player that's, you know, kind of used to blending into the mix, man, no, no, no. Not that day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's one one two guitar band that has not come up. I actually I wrote down Oasis, but you sort of some people will yell at me. But you covered that with the Counting Crows thing, right? Where you get the acoustic and the electric, and it you know mm-hmm. it, it blends. But what about the Beatles? I mean, those guys composed those parts with two guitars. Yeah, and again, George was color, and and yep. John was rhythm. That's right, and that's that's kind of the basic answer to that question. Is you know one guy is that's it is, is a basic answer. There you go. Yep. Yeah, you put you're putting effects on your guitar. You're playing little riffs amongst your rhythm where the other guy's kind of strumming his rhythm. That that's the simplest way to answer that question is one guy is just carrying the groove, you know, rhythmically court chordal yep. and, uh, and the other guy is adding the color and that's, that's the easiest way to answer that question. Sweet. You found an article, Paul on uh symphonic distribution.com called, do you want to, well, I'll call it 10 ways to make your gig unforgettable. And, and I, and 
you want to just walk through each of these 10 and maybe spend more time on, on some than others? Cause you said you had some, you had some thoughts about this. I do. Well, so the thing is this, uh, this, I actually found this article. So I've been, we've been posting a little bit about, uh, this cover band central Facebook account where the guy who runs that Facebook account, I've let him know what we do and I haven't heard back from him. I hope I do. Yeah. And he does a good job. I mean, he, he, he finds and sources and curates a lot of good articles uh, that have all different types of, uh, of information for cover band players. And, and I think it's a really useful site. So if you haven't found it yet, Dave, can we post the link again in the show notes? Absolutely. Yep. So here's one that he posted. And, and this is to a site called symphonicdistribution.com. 10 ways to make your gig unforgettable. So I thought it'd be kind of fun to talk about these. But mostly, this article just infuriated me because I don't actually see the unforgettable part of this. And I'll talk about why after we go through the list. Here. All right. So let, let's, let's try this. Okay. So, uh, you go take us, take us, uh, start with number one. We'll bounce them back right. and forth. Yeah. 10 ways to make your gig unforgettable. Number one, rehearse to me. Duh. Right. I, I, well, yeah, I guess. I mean, then, and then I play in chafed. Right. So, you know, well, yeah. And actually that's a, that's a very interesting thing. And there was an article about the, you know, the grateful dead and how they pioneered this, this new type of music that was so spontaneous and live. But I think by and large, whatever it is, those you know, guys, I love, I, I, I love what they did for music. That band sounded unrehearsed every time they hit the stage. And I know people are going to yell at me for saying this, but it, are, are you, is that a criticism or is that uh, just an observation of the vibe that they give? It's off? an observation, right? I mean, they clearly never, other than on stage, they never practiced the concept of improvising with each other, right? It was anytime they went into a jam section, I mean, they wrote songs and they all knew the songs for the most part, right? When they would play a tune, but they, when they got to a jam section, it was whatever, six guys, five guys, depending on how many were on stage, uh, each doing their own thing. And occasionally it would become this magical thing that sounded great. But most of the time it just sounded like, you know, five or six people noodling away on their own. And, and then one person would try and bring it back together. All right. So, so for everybody, out there who's a dead, yeah, everybody out there, that's a deadhead. That would be Dave at gig that you want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and but see, I've said that to some deadheads and they've taken offense and I've said that to others. And they're like, yeah, that's you're, you're totally right. That's, that's well, how it was. But when it was magic, Man, it was awesome. That's it. And Nick has actually yeah. said that. You know, Nick actually, yeah. I think I think he followed them through Europe for a while. I mean, he's mm. that serious about it. Yeah. And he has said to me, you know, often they were just not very good. Right. And you were there almost as much for the family of people that would, would follow them. But sure. Anyway. Anyway, we, we, rehearse. Check. Right. Rehearse. Check. Be good at your craft, I think, is the big message there. Yeah. To me, that's a duh. You know, be tight. Unless you can guarantee that you're going to go out. Uh, you know, and even the dead, you know, for those nights that they weren't special, they're certainly not creating an unforgettable gig. Unless That's they, right. Unless. Sorry. So rehearse. Number one. Number two, do plenty of PR and generate a big crowd. This drives me crazy as if this is the easiest thing to do. Generate a big crowd. We all do this. You know, we all, you know, we all want to drive people to make our gig successful. But to kind of state this as kind of a matter of fact, do plenty of PR. And it's not really PR because you're not really doing press relations or public relations, you know, you're, you're doing marketing is what you're doing. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and you're, you're going to send out an email to your list, however big your list is. You're going to send out, you know, a Facebook invite, however big your Facebook following is, you, you know, all the band members will put it on, but the, the, the quality of the crowd 
the quantity of the crowd, actually that's even better, the quantity of the, of the crowd. I went and saw a friend's band this weekend. A friend who they have a good following, but um, there was actually like a little friction there because the following is kind of clicky. Um, and uh, right. So yeah. there was a big crowd, but it wasn't like that. Well, you know, to me, the great unforgettable gigs is when you, you as a band are the leader of a shared moment for everybody who's there. That's when you're the using key. music. Yeah. When you're using music to break down all the crap that people go through in their day-to-day lives and you know, you're creating a moment. That's an unforgettable gig. A big crowd in and of, in and of itself uh, is not it, necessarily great. It might and, be and again, unforgettable for you on stage to play for a big crowd, but that's not necessarily what you've created for each individual in the crowd. Exactly. Number Next, three, give away CDs or t-shirts. So now this is implying that in order for you to make a gig unforgettable, there's a little bit of financial commitment that the band has to, has to undergo. I just think this is ridiculous. That's a gimmick. I don't know. I, well, it's totally a gimmick, but you know, I, I got this one, right? We used to do Cirque de Mac every year. And, and how, what did we do? Well, we gave away t-shirts, uh, but we also gave away booze. You know, you want to make it unforgettable draw people in with free stuff. Now I'm not, th- th- that was a whole different thing, right? This was a, a business venture event, right? It, it made sense to do the, all these things and yes, it works, but it's not, I don't know, you know, maybe it is the way to, to build a, a, a following, I, you know, it certainly, certainly jump starts things for, is it unforgettable band. for the person who didn't get the free t-shirt? Uh, so if you're going to throw 25 t-shirts out from the oh, stage. No, you got right? you got to make sure you have enough t-shirts for everybody. Well, you can't do that every time, right? And Whoa. don't you want every gig to be unforgettable? We did mostly for Cirque du Mac, but we once had, a year, dude. I, I, I listen, th- th- we haven't gotten to the frequency of the gigs, you know. <laughs> no, I I'm, I'm with you. I'm 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 playing devil's advocate just for the sake of doing so. Yeah. I'm I'm totally And I'm more reading you. this saying if a band's goal is every time they go out to be unforgettable and to make an impression upon people, how much of this advice is really, uh, you know, meaningful. I've seen, so, I've seen bands give away, you know, a couple of t-shirts at a gig, you know, it, it to, to encourage interaction, right. You know, somebody does something interesting. Somebody, you know, is, is having fun and, and you throw them a t-shirt and I've, I've, I've never done that, but I've seen it. And I, you know, it seems moderately effective from the crowd. All right. Well, I, and I'll admit I've thrown out some t-shirts like yeah. at the end of the year when, we have some extra t-shirts for whatever we've been selling for the year. I'll get rid of them at the end of the year and, and throw them out to the crowd. Yeah. People like it. It's all good, but I I'm staying with the kind of the purest. Yeah. My, my critique of this article is that the purest issues about the things you can do from a performance level to reach people, move people and create that vibe. That's what, that's the issue that I kind of have with this article. So we continue on here. Num- number four, number four, invite writers to come and write blog about the show. Maybe, maybe for a, a, an original band, there's an opportunity for that. Um, the number in any community, the number of writers and or bloggers who are out and about. And again, I, I would question whether a blogger is going to be contributing to the unforgettableness of a show. Yeah, so that's, this- that's, that's not, that has nothing to do. It's not a bad idea, right? It, 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 but it's not. To, to serve the stated purpose of the article, I'm with you. It, it's completely irrelevant. All right. Moving on. Number five, yep. invite other bands to come and show support. So again, 
this whole show support thing, and I've ranted about this in the past, right? Yeah, we had a whole show. Your, we had a whole episode about it. Your job is to be good enough where people want to come see you. Don't don't goad people into showing support. There should if your vibe of your musical community is cool and and musicians go and support each other, but you know, I would I don't think I could ever reach out to other bands and say, hey. I got a band. I, I got a big show coming up. I want it to be special. Can you come out and support us? I don't think I would ever do that. Yeah, I've, but but there's nothing wrong if you're friendly with members or all of the members of an, a band, just like you are with any of your other friends saying, hey, I'm playing this big show. I'd love to see you there. But then that's it. Right. There's none of this because we're in this brotherhood of musicians. You must come and I'm going to guilt you into it. Yeah, yeah I hate that. That's stupid. Yeah. All right. So next weird reason. Number six. Look good. All right. So. Here's the interesting thing. And it's certainly a conversation that we've had and I've had in my band. And I think you've had in your band. I do think presentation is an important part of a, of a, of a music, a live music experience. I think, you know, we're not, people are not closing their eyes and putting on headphones. It's a visual experience and it's a sign of respect to the audience that, uh, that a band looks appropriate. And so I actually think, this is part of the foundational stuff that you check off uh, in order to make an event, a, a live music event important. Yeah. Right? You know? Yeah. I I've seen bands that, that wear the ratty t-shirt on stage and, and for some styles of music, that is actually the right thing to wear. But, but I think whatever you're wearing on stage should be intentional. Um, and, and maybe it's, you know, I, I, I think when we talked about this, I said, it's rare that I'll get on stage without a collared shirt on. Right. And it's less about the collar than it is about the buttons. Cause it actually lets more air in and it, it lets me breathe a little bit, but, uh, but it is a, a, you know, it's a decent look, right. You know, and, but, but whatever you're wearing on stage, be aware of what you're wearing on stage and make sure that, it fits with what that word. Doing. Intentional is the best word that you use. So yeah. have you given some thought? in in terms of the respect that you are showing your audience that 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 this is special i'm respecting the fact that i get to be on a stage and play for you and um you know yeah i i think i think that's a this is one i can't agree with all right yeah i'm with you all right next scope out the venue beforehand well sure you know Absolutely. if it's a local if if it's a local venue you probably have already done this it the, the lack of doing it could make it a, an event more difficult but the presence of doing it doesn't, by definition, make a gig unforgettable. It makes it it's kind of checking off the basic things that you need in order to be successful. Unforgettable. I don't think I would go that, down that path. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, this is a this is a weird I'm, I'm with you on this. This is a weird list for there's some good things here, but there's a weird list for unforgettable. Yeah. Absolutely. So. All right. Next one. Number eight. Make sure you have a high energy level. Seems like a weird thing to say that you have to do. I mean. I'll say this, and I've said this on the show before. To me, truth is the, is the ultimate thing that you're communicating when you play music. If you're feeling it and you're communicating it. So make sure you have a high energy level. I'm not sure what that does for the jam bands. Not sure what that does, you know, when you're playing My Girl or, you know, or any of these other things. So, it, you know, this kind of blanket level that a high energy level, if you don't have the chops, if the, you're not interpreting the music effectively, if you're not performing the music effectively, this seems like, you know, a, a strange, isolated bit of advice that high energy, you know, automatically computes to or contributes 
purely with these other ideas well, to uh, unforgettable. I, I, uh, I think, I, how about this? I think it's, Look. well, no, let me, let me say this. I think it's important, right? If, if you go on stage and you're feeling lethargic and you're letting yourself feel lethargic, we've all had those moments where, you know, it's time to play the gig and you're like, man, I wish I was on the couch instead, but you're not right. You, you get to be on this stage. And if you go on stage acting like you wish you were on the couch, that does translate to the crowd, right? It, There's it doesn't, a lot in between. Yeah, but it doesn't matter if you're playing My Girl or playing Green Day tunes, right? You know, the the your energy level when you hit the stage is going to be perceived by the audience. And I always feel like, okay, you know, whatever it is, I try to, you know, psych myself into, hey, I get to be on this stage. I get to do this. I'm excited to do this. And I'm going to show these people because it starts rarely does you know we, we've talked about how the flow of energy happens in a gig and it it it's constant it's this constant back and forth between the crowd and the stage but rarely can you count on it starting in the crowd right you you have sure. to start that spark on the stage and hand that energy to the crowd and then kind of let it flow and ebb back and forth so yeah i think i mean i i get where they're going with this is that the right was those those the right words to use eh, maybe i mean it you know maybe not yeah don't, uh, go, don't just, go on stage feeling lazy. I guess yeah, that's maybe well, a better but that's, thing. The, that's way the other end of the spectrum, yeah, right? So, right. So, you know, here's a good example. My bass player, like many bass players, kind of hangs towards the back by the drummer. He's right on top of the hi-hat and the drums. And he just kind of has this vibe that's solid. He's not jumping all around. Right. You know, you wouldn't say he has a high energy level, but he is very truthful to his intent to drive the bus of the band, you know, with his grooves. Right. Yeah. Totally. He is truthful. He is into what he's doing. So I would have, I would have said, be true to who you are. Be insanely true to who you are. Yeah. And, and maybe the, at least the front man has to have a high energy level. I mean, if you're playing rock and roll music, someone's going to have to, you know, exhibit some excitement for the type of music that you're playing. But just the whole band jumping around, I don't know. That, oh, well, yeah, you see, I don't I don't equate high energy to therefore you're jumping around. I, I equate it to the the uh, what you what you project from the stage. Right. You know, is it are, are you there and meek and and shy or are you like like your bass player? He doesn't move around a lot, but he is he exudes confidence. Right. I mean, you, yep. there is no question. And, and that's it is. Can you communicate this confidence? And that takes energy. Right. I mean, it, he it's a thing he does. And See, I think it takes truth. I think it yeah. takes commitment to here's a good example. Maybe the best example. Steely Dan. This is not a high energy band. Nope. Yet they all are. Letting these great songs and their their determination to to portray interpret reinterpret these great songs and these guys are just playing hard and that that actually is a really interesting part of it i i've often said in my band you know we have great songs don't screw them up right the songs have already proven that they're meaningful to people right 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 yeah the hard work has been done someone wrote the classic song don't screw them up so, so i think i think not only do you and i agree on this i think we agree with the article it takes you got to get on stage and, and communicate that you want to be on stage. Um, and I think, I think that's what they're going with here. All right. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah. Moving on. Number nine, interact with the audience. So this may seem like a no brainer on the surface. I would say this though. If you're crappy at it, 
you'll probably screw up your performance. Yep. So, you know, either get better at it, understand where your strengths are in terms of uh, your interaction with an audience. Uh, You know, is there someone in the band who's particularly good at it and how would you use that person's skills with it? But just the blanket, you know, the band as a whole should interact. Well, you know, there, we could break this down into a lot of things. Good example. My horn section uh, has music stands and I've been very focused on saying I, I want the stands down at waist height. Don't hide behind the stands. And, you know, when you're not blowing, you know, you got to be conscious. Like I don't give them choreo- choreography to, you know, to do, but, but I'm like, be conscious that you're on a stage. People are looking at you. What do you want to convey? And we've kind of like, I wouldn't say perfected because it's never perfect, but you know, over, over the course of the time in the band, we have evolved the kind of on stage interaction that translates well to an audience, yep. you know, who does what, you know, in all these things. So interact with the audience. I would have, I would have globalized that and said, put on a show. That's and one of the things that's right. Yeah. I like that. That's yeah. Can, that's better. Can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. Yeah, so you what, don't, you don't be entertaining. Want, you don't want everyone on stage interacting with the audience maybe at at all and certainly not simultaneously yeah that's unprofessional it's way unprofessional yeah finally how to make a a gig unforgettable number 10 have someone take photos and video and put it on your site i'm not exactly sure i mean it certainly creates a record of it for people to enjoy and and live a moment the the term unforgettable means they remember it. And so if you help remind them of it, perhaps this is the the truest of all of these statements, right? You know, uh, you will not forget this because I'm going to show it to you again. Yep. I don't know. It's well, not I'm a bad just, idea. I, yeah. My whole my whole point of this is that the purest view, if you wanna if you wanna be unforgettable, it's about that moment and it's about making this kind of communal vibe. So we talked about grateful dead. Was there any band better than that? You know, they got into their fans heads and, and, uh, and their fans, you know, wanted to be a part of that communal feeling over and over again. Yeah. And that's how they created a following. So that is what I think. Well, no, 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 no. We, okay. I don't want to go too far down this path because we don't have a lot of time, but that's not how the dead created a following. The following was created because of, uh, and, and the dead was attached to it, right? It was Owsley Stanley needed, it was was making a bunch of LSD and he wanted to sell it around the country. And so he started this whole concept of, OK, we can, you know, move this whole production around the country. And this band is the the glue that holds it all together. And that was a big part of what drove the, the dead initially. And in fact, that funded the dead initially was was the LSD sales. That's Dave at GigGabPodcast.com. Send in your comments if you agree or if you don't agree. I'm sure there are people out there who have very deep thoughts on this. Uh, well, they, they, you can have deep thoughts. It, 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 listen, the band, I don't, I don't mean to take anything away from the Grateful Dead. They had a 50-year at least, right? And if they, they said they'd stop, but maybe they won't, right? They, you know, they had a 50-year career and, mm-hmm. and did amazing things and all of that. But the, the genesis of it was was it, it, this kind of upside down thing. There's nothing wrong with it. Just, you know, like the facts to be out there. It's all good. Fair enough. <laughs> so anyway, the thought is, you know, unforgettable gigs are made by bands who know their craft, who've perfected their craft, worked hard to perfect their craft, know where they're good and emphasize their strengths. Uh, uh, you know, have a plan 
for you know how they're going to communicate their music that night and and follow that plan or or know when to divert from a plan all the, you know a lot of things we've spoken about over the last 22 weeks you know having those having those lifesaver tunes in your back pocket if if things aren't going right coming back to it uh i think i've talked about this local guy here who's been around for about 40 some odd years joe sharino who's you know he's he's kind of the poster child for success as a cover as a cover artist around here and uh, he uses the analogy that every gig is like a sports uh, team, uh, you know, trying to hit a single, a double, a triple, and then a home run. You know, the great songs that really get the audience, that they work it in order to, um, to get the audience behind them. Uh, that's a home run. Yeah. And, and that's not a bad analogy to think about. So the responsibility is yours to go out, take the stage, play your ass off, you know, have... Uh, have uh, uh, make a beautiful noise and uh, and change people's lives for the couple hours that you get to entertain them. Have fun together. Have fun. Right? That's it. It's only rock and roll. That's what we do here. Folks, as Paul pointed out, yes, you can reach me at Dave at Giggab Podcast. But if you want to reach both of us, feedback at giggabpodcast.com is, in fact, the right place to do it. And uh, And we would love to hear from you. We answered some questions this week. We would love to answer more. Or if you have stuff you want to share, if you want to tell me I'm wrong, if you have something to add to the conversation, send it in. We will share it here on the show. This is about having fun together, all of us, you included. So please, please join our little conversation here. It's um, it's it's great to the two of us. It's even better with all of you. These were fun today. What's that? I like the questions. They were good today. They were good today. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They, um, they were enlightening. In fact, I didn't think we would answer them the way we did. And, and that's the best part. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. Good one, Dave. Yep. Fun stuff, folks. Make sure to, uh, to check us out on, uh, wherever you'd like to check us out. Make sure to subscribe to the show. If you're just listening to a one-off and, and we will be back next week. Thanks, Paul. Thanks everyone.